You're now listening to episode one of my new podcast. I'm ATC Whitney. First little context. I used to do a podcast called Two Bats with my girlfriend slash partner slash tiny bat Kirsten, a.k.a. K underscore underscore B-A-T-T, where we talked about movies, goth music, Los Angeles, tattoos, Jurassic Park, and all kinds of other shit. That podcast sort of ran out of steam because Kirsten's job can get too demanding for her to be constantly available to produce content with your boy, and it's hard to keep up momentum when one person is traveling or in crunch mode working and sleeping exclusively for days at a time. I decided to rethink my podcast as part of a larger rebranding, which I'll get into now. Spoilers. This might be boring to you if you're not looking to hear my condensed history. I think this is interesting stuff, but I would because it's my life. And although I think it's relevant to how this podcast came about and who the person is that you're listening to, you may not give two fucks about any of it and you're welcome to skip the rest of this episode and move on to episode two whenever that comes out. I grew up in Pomona, California and wanted to be a filmmaker my whole life. I was working as an actor through all of middle school and high school. I did voiceover in The Wedding Singer and the Leave it to Beaver movie. I was in an orchard supply and hardware commercial and I was in a bunch of music videos. I enjoyed acting until I got older. Once I was out of high school, acting wasn't really fun anymore. In your late teens and early 20s, your peers start to gain some sort of self-awareness, regardless of how dysfunctional that might be. So the desperation, cutthroat competitiveness, politics, and petty social maneuvering started to become the number one currency and greatest concerted effort in those circles, whether you liked it or not. I started to drift away from acting and wanted desperately to become a filmmaker. Part of the problem beyond the politics among actors in Hollywood is the auditions I would go on would aggravate me to no end. Every set of sides that I'd get for every audition were so stupid that I had no interest in being part of any of the gigs I was auditioning for. I didn't think I was the greatest writer in the world, but I definitely felt like I could write better stories, scenes, and dialogue than the shit I was being fed with my hands tied behind my back. Maybe that's arrogance or just a difference in tastes, but it's hard to get excited about interminable and constant auditions, 99% of which you don't book, wherein you're excited by precisely 0% of them. I also realized pretty quickly that you'll have a hard time trying to break into the film industry without a parent or friend willing to grandfather you in. The business is set up to keep a system of nepotism and generational power in place and I tried and failed to find a crack somewhere I could slip inside of so that I could somehow be a part of making movies from the other side of the camera. This holds true even for actors. The only reason I ever even gained access to the auditions I got when I got them was because one person I met as a child wanted to go out of their way to help me because she really liked me for some reason. She made it clear even in my prepubescent mind how much legwork it took for her to hustle me into the doors I was heading through, past the infrastructure in place to keep outsiders like me from Pomona out of the business. She got me an agent, a manager, my first two gigs, and a SAG card. It was asking a lot for lightning to strike twice and for somebody like her to magically materialize and help me break into another different part of the film industry, but still I stubbornly tried and years went by to no avail. I decided to move to San Francisco when I'd given up on movies and being a filmmaker. I was ready to get as far away from knowing about that world as possible, and even though San Francisco is only a half a day's drive away, it's worlds apart from Los Angeles in almost every way. People in San Francisco actively distance themselves from anything even remotely associated with Los Angeles. It's almost the main identifying feature of the San Francisco mindset. And that was exactly what I wanted at the time. While I lived in San Francisco, I worked at a Levi's store. The store happened to be in the corporate headquarters lobby. The company was holding an event for World AIDS Day and I asked to see if anybody was documenting any of it. Nobody was. 
So I had this funny idea that I should buy an inexpensive camera from Best Buy with the little money I had and make a video. I'd met a lot of the people that were running Levi's at that time and I figured I could tell all of them about my video and maybe they'd put it out and I'd get to have something I'd made seen by a bunch of people. That idea was the start of a career that lasted 10 years. When I showed the video around, people that worked for Levi's Corporate started coming into the store asking for me. I did that World AIDS Day video for free, but suddenly I got hired for a few gigs making videos for Levi's. The workload increased so rapidly that I had to quit my day job within a few weeks just to have enough time to handle the gigs I was booking and I wasn't even trying to be a freelance filmmaker at all. I made a whole shit ton of videos for Levi's at that point. I was a full-time paid commercial filmmaker. Most of what I did, especially in the beginning, I had full creative control over even though they were commissioned by a massive Fortune 500 company with strict brand guidelines. Somehow I'd found a way to write, shoot, direct, score, and edit my own shit. It only took leaving Los Angeles to do it. I printed up business cards and bought a domain and set up a website. I started booking gigs for clients other than Levi's. I made videos for tech companies, I shot wedding videos, I made music videos. I was making a better living by far than I ever have before or since. I got to travel for the first time in my life. I had enough money to live alone in a one-bedroom apartment a couple blocks away from the house and full house. If you know San Francisco, you know it's not cheap to live there. I also had the money and confidence in my network to take vacations every now and then. I mostly went to New York. I've always loved New York. But nothing lasts forever. Over time, Levi's started to change. They got a new CEO and a new president. A lot of the people who worked there started to leave. Then Levi's fired 800 people in one day. I thought I'd be okay even though Levi's was my biggest, most frequent, and best paying client. Plus I had other clients, so I was stupid and not worried. But even the people I knew who were still at Levi's started behaving differently. They started becoming more difficult to work with, making more and more demands, many of them unrealistic. They started lowering the budgets, even though San Francisco was becoming more and more expensive and more and more wealth was moving into the city. Then they started not paying me on time. One time, one of the top execs at Levi's, who'd always treated me great before, hired me on a gig and asked me for something very specific after I'd signed on at a certain budget. It required greater expense on my end than I'd previously thought we'd planned on. In fact, the expense was so great that I thought I might actually end up giving my whole fee over to a couple of subcontractors to get the gig done. I did a little more research and realized, in fact, it was even worse than that. Not only would I have to spend the money I was supposed to make for my expenses and payment, but I'd have to take money out of my own checking account just to cover the cost of these subcontractors. There was no other way. I told my client and he said it was too bad, too late, and to just get it done. I was expected to go ahead and pay for everything. So I did exactly that. I was afraid to speak out again because I deduced from the guy's tone that I'd probably get blacklisted for it. But when all was said and done, I ended up in the hospital with exhaustion and dehydration because I wasn't eating, sleeping, or drinking water for the duration of the gig, and my checking account was less a few thousand dollars after paying the subcontractors my expense budget, my own fee, and the additional money Levi's didn't cover. It felt unfair and I was angry. When I got out of the hospital and the same client offered me another meeting to discuss a new gig, I couldn't keep it to myself anymore. I told him how I felt and asked if anything could be done, as in, could I get another payment so I could at least break even? 
I'd seen Levi's kick in money for booze, emergency trips, cocaine, and dinners in my time working side-by-side with corporate employees, so I figured it wouldn't be hard to add a few pennies to an expense sheet, especially given the circumstances. In response, this guy chewed me out and then blacklisted me. I stopped getting calls and emails from them. Months later, I asked a few people who still worked there if they knew about anything that happened. Some wouldn't answer, but some of them said I wasn't hireable any longer, but they weren't at liberty to say why. I went to a lawyer but gave up on that pretty quickly when I realized what I was up against and how unlikely it would be that I'd get anywhere heading down that road. At the same time, the types of clients I'd been working for that had been paying the bulk of my income over 10 years in San Francisco, LA, and New York started rethinking the hiring of freelancers like me. I didn't know that at the time, but there was a trend going around where companies were bringing my type of vendor in-house or outsourcing it to agencies that provided those services. Once I realized this, I did the next logical thing. I tried to get a job at one of those agencies. I went to all kinds of agencies and I couldn't find any way into any of them. It started to feel like LA all over again. Most of the people I knew who survived these changes in the freelancing scene seemed to have found desk jobs through friends and family. The deja vu kicked in hardcore and the jobs dried up more and more. Eventually I thought, maybe moving to LA would help. I had a great resume and I'd heard that LA had changed. Supposedly, it was more like San Francisco and New York now, not least in part because of the mass exodus taking place from San Francisco and New York. Those claims were greatly exaggerated, I'd come to find out. So, I moved to LA and looked for freelance work for a year. I probably made about $200 freelancing that year. Then I looked for ad agency desk jobs all over LA. I got nowhere. Next, I tried getting hired at companies like Vice and BuzzFeed that produce content. I didn't even want those jobs, but I wanted some kind of a job and I needed money. And even though BuzzFeed has edited footage I've shot for my own videos into several of their own viral videos without my permission, they wouldn't return my calls for a job. I couldn't get anything to work out. Then I got desperate. I tried shooting events and parties and nightclubs. I was getting offers, but they were less than minimum wage prorated to work in taxing circumstances surrounded by horrible people. I tried focusing on weddings and couldn't land more than my usual, which was about two weddings a year for almost 10 years. Next, I got more desperate. I started looking again for work in the movie industry. Kirsten was already starting to do this, but she and I both got treated so badly with insane levels of verbal abuse and payment withholding by the psychopathic journeyman crew members in below-the-line Hollywood that we couldn't afford our rent anymore and we almost broke up from the stress we brought home with us even though we were working longer hours with less days off than either of us had ever had. And we weren't just working in some weird bubble of a seedy underbelly. Kirsten's last gig was on an Oscar-nominated movie. Eventually, I took a job as a barista. Kirsten got a corporate job at a cosmetics manufacturing company. We both gave up on movies. My coffee shop employer decided after a few months to cut everyone's hours and health insurance, and the store I worked at hired a new manager who came to work pissed off every day and picking fights whenever the line of customers grew beyond five people. So I quit. I wasn't making enough to pay rent there anyway, even before the hours got cut. So that brings us to today. I finally came to the conclusion that whatever bullshit minimum wage job I'd get next wouldn't cut it in Los Angeles anyway, and it wasn't fulfilling or utilizing any of my talent and experience. 
I'd leave LA and live somewhere cheaper, but I like my girlfriend and she likes LA. And that's that. I decided to go back to the idea of making stuff again and to focus on monetizing it somehow. I knew that it would be the only way I'd have any chance at making any more than minimum wage, any chance at paying bills, and any chance at doing something that I enjoy. So I started a Patreon and I've been working full time. I'm making videos on YouTube, I'm selling music, I'm selling merch, and I'm doing this podcast. Since I can't get hired project by project by companies as a freelancer anymore, I decided to generate content and let people come to me. I'm calling all of it Above the Cut, which is the name of the brand I called my freelancing career when I quit my job selling jeans at the Levi's store. I've got a handful of patrons right now and I'm working hard to figure out how to grow Above the Cut into a viable living for a second time. This has been an extremely trying time in my life stretching over several years now. I've dealt with depression, self-loathing, exhaustion, eviction, hospitalization, and feeling suicidal since my freelancing career started to tank. At this point, I'm not asking for sympathy or a handout. I'm just looking for an audience that likes what I do. I know they're out there because I used to make a comfortable living out of the same notion. I don't know what'll happen with my plan to use Patreon and build my brand over from scratch. Maybe I'll never make a comfortable living again. Maybe I'll buy a house and make a feature film. Maybe I'll just die in a car wreck before anything has a chance to happen. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know that there's comfort in doors closing because if enough doors close, it narrows your focus on what's possible and brings clarity of purpose. So, what to expect on this podcast moving forward? I'm planning to use this as a way to cover miscellaneous topics that don't fit into my YouTube videos. There won't be any specific theme for this podcast. It'll probably lean heavily around my main interests. Horror movies, motorcycles, Los Angeles because it's where I live, caffeine, music, whatever else occurs to me. I plan on doing some podcasts solo like this and some with guests. So that about brings us up to date on everything for the time being, but I want to take a moment for a few plugs. First, you should check out my buddy Hero Bishop. He's my best internet friend and my brother from another mother who I've never met. He has his own thing going called Nerdcore where he reviews figs and movies and talks about comics and other cool shit. He's an inspiring dude to me and his podcast is super interesting. So look up NerdXCore and get your entertainment on. If you're interested in my shit, I'm ATC Whitney on Twitter and Instagram and my YouTube is youtube.com slash scrutinizefilms. You can find my Patreon at patreon.com slash ATC Whitney, and my website is abovethecutfilms.com. Thanks for listening.